Hello, I am Lydia Pimhaisik, a senior in the Rhode Island School of Design's Illustration BFA program. You're listening to Made With, a RISI student's guide to stuff. RISD students coming into their freshman year should know one thing. They will, for the next nine months of their lives, live a charcoal-covered Sisyphean nightmare, lugging endless piles of paper up and down College Hill. The omnipresence and reliance on newsprint at RISD is so great that, despite it being the cheapest paper available at the RISD store, the sheer volume necessary is a major stressor on the RISD freshman's wallet. Illustration majors budgeting for newsprint extends into their sophomore year with even more drawing courses. Material costs are high at RISD, only slightly mitigated by the presence, yet difficult to actually access, student materials fund. Each major has their own hyper-specialized expenses, gold for jewelry and metals, luster glazes for ceramics, silk for apparel, but the unifying force is paper, and it's paper we'll be discussing today. Specifically, our topic today is the prevalence of paper in children's lives, particularly in their entertainment and play. We tend to think of paper somewhat negatively these days. Schools and workplaces often attempt to eliminate paper in an attempt to save some trees. Paper money is increasingly rare to see. Very few of my friends carry cash. The rise of e-readers and audiobooks have raised debates on the value of paper books. And yet, despite this, Paper remains omnipresent, particularly for children. For nearly 20 years, children in the St. Louis area had access to a very unique source of paper entertainment, the Snowflakey Lady at the St. Louis City Museum. Real name Marion Nichols, she designed hundreds of snowflake patterns, which you could get and cut out in her charming little studio in the art city. These designs are modeled after all sorts, words, musical instruments, flowers, but by far the most popular designs were animals. A paper snowflake does not seem very difficult to design. It is one of the most basic crafts children learn in kindergarten. You'd take a square, fold it into sixths, making a triangle, cut out a design, unfold, and voila! A perfect snowflake. Yet the improvised snowflakes that pepper every preschool come wintertime are not in the same class as Mary Nichols's creations. Her designs are beautiful and intricate, and many of them are very difficult to actually cut out. I myself had to argue multiple times across multiple visits to be allowed to even attempt the hippopotamus design, with its delicate ear threatening to fall off if you made even one wrong move with your scissors. Nichols got her start in professional snowflakery while watching TV one night. She was cutting a regular paper snowflake while watching an animal program and decided to try making an animal design. Making snowflakes became a passion. While she was volunteering at the City Museum, founder and director Bob Cassily noticed that her snowflakes were quite popular and built her a six-sided room in which she could teach people to cut out snowflakes. That six-sided room is the setting of some of my best memories of St. Louis. From the charming little sign saying stories and lies while you cut, to the giant framed golden tiger-designed snowflake, 
to the almost life-sized ragdoll wearing glasses in the corner. I'll describe a couple of her snowflakes now. On the cover of her 2007 book, How to Make Animal Snowflakes, she has a bird design featuring six birds. The wings are very delicate. There are nine distinct feathers. Each bird's wing very lightly touches the wing of the bird next to it, with connections at the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth feathers. The tails are similarly delicate and connected. There are five distinct feathers, and only the center feathers do not touch their neighbors. The result is a stunning flake, one that wouldn't be out of place in a Wilson A. Bentley photograph. But the intricate feathers don't stop there. On the cover of her 2008 book, How to Make Mystical Snowflakes, Nichols features a Pegasus design. Nichols finds that she needs to have four points of contact on the edge of each triangle, but those points of contact can be extremely small. The Pegasus design features five identifiable points of connection. There are six Pegasi in profile, all facing the center with two wings each, one on the side facing us, and one just behind it on the side facing away. The back wing has nine tiny feathers, hard enough, and the front wing has an impossible 12. Two of the points of connection are on the wings. The tips of the back wings connect, and some of the topmost feathers on the front wing connect. The other three are on the horse's feet, which are less than an eighth of an inch thick. These incredibly tiny legs are responsible for holding together the snowflake. And it works! Marian Nichols is a genius folk artist, and her cut paper designs showcase her incredible skill. Marian Nichols retired in 2020 after changes at the museum caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and changes caused nearly a decade earlier after the untimely and tragic death of Bob Cassily. While she is no longer at the City Museum, you can still witness her expertise and skilled designs by cutting out her snowflakes at home. At the time of recording, you can purchase some of her books, namely the ones featuring Botanical, Holiday, Ocean Animal, Astrological, Mystical, and of course, more and more difficult animal designs from the St. Louis City Museum's online gift shop. Another major aspect of paper in the lives of children is, of course, children's books. From the 32-page picture books we adored even before being able to read them, to the middle-grade novels that we think about to this day, American children are exposed to a great variety of books. And some children's book artists have used paper in extremely creative ways. I have the pleasure of interviewing Jinghong Chen, a senior in RISD's illustration BFA. Jinghong works largely with cut paper, creating beautiful narratives with bright colors. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, thank you for having me. So tell me a little about yourself. I'm a senior in RISD illustration, as you said before, and I work largely with cut paper and like artist books. I recently saw your cut paper work at the Pencils Overrated exhibition. It's really stunning. Could you tell me a bit about what made you interested in cut paper? Yeah, for sure. I know how to do cut paper from a very young age since it's like kind of like, it's like the kind of art form that I grew up with. So like kind of folk art, a folk artsy, but I like never really thought about combining it with my own art practices. 
It was kind of in my my RISD like foundation year and the illustration foundation year assignments when I start to like experiment. Where I was like kind of forced to experiment with new stuff, and then I somehow combine, you know, this skill of mine with my fine art practices, and I realized, well, it actually looks kind of cool. Maybe I should do more of this, and then just kind of get rolling. It is really cool. You mentioned earlier that you're drawing kind of inspiration from folk art. Would you be able to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So like, I was born and raised in southern China. My hometown was in like southern coastal China, which is a place when religion plays a huge role. I don't know. I don't even know if it's like officially like religion or like what kind of religion it is. It's more like a folk practices more than you know anything else, and it's all like a merge of like both Buddhism, Taoism, and also a bunch of other like ancestral worship and other like urban legends merged together to create. This like kind of mythical beliefs that I grew up with in southern China, and then being away from home, that definitely creates a connection, like spiritually, between me and what I call home. And definitely making arts about that helped me to feel again connected with my heritage, despite that I'm physically very far away from you know the place that I grew up with.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like just recreating this, like recreating the folk stories and folk beliefs that I watch every day growing up, and then actually study it academically and help understand it more in a more spiritual way. It's kind of like a new experience and a new examination of my past. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. What would you say are the benefits and drawbacks of working primarily with paper as your medium? Before, like when I first get started with it, just like how long the craft actually takes was definitely a huge limitation. But then I discovered laser cutting, <laughs> which is a life changer. And then I think because of that, I was able to produce a lot of more ambitious work and to like actually meet deadline within the fast turnaround of easy assignment. But even with laser cutter, there's definitely still a lot of limitations, or maybe you can like use that at, towards your advantage. So I think one of them, definitely, it's the color. Cause color of your work is pretty much determined by, at least for me, at the situation right now, what color paper that Rizzi store carries. You could definitely, you know, buy a blank piece of paper and then paint it, but then it's gonna have a different texture, and sometimes. Sometimes it can work towards your benefit, but sometimes I I really just crave that clean look. So that's definitely like a drawback. But the benefit is that I think paper can create like the form itself carries like a some sort of dimension, and it can achieve you know what maybe like other mediums like drawing and painting um trying to achieve like with a lot of effort, it can just achieve by existing. So I think that's definitely just like the form itself carries a really cool effect, and it interact with the lights and shadows a lot better than just like traditional two D platform. So I definitely think that's another strength of paper. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. You make a lot of children's work, so you were in the children's book class with me. Is there anything that you think particularly suits your colorful cut paper to a children's medium? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Again, like 
by layering papers, you can easily achieve this like kind of inviting and welcoming 3D space and really create this like immersive experiment, which I think is like definitely a really good thing about a children's book is to draw the children's in, right? And with paper, you can kind of achieve that effortlessly. And with working with paper, again, you have to like really think about the silhouette and really strong shape and that make it easier. So like you have to consider that as you're creating the work more than like drawing and painting as a medium. So more often than not, your work is going to be like very easily recognizable and very easily just be picked up on by a children. So I think that's like a very easy introduction for them to a story just by like strong silhouettes and like shapes. Yeah, and it's also just like a playful medium. All right. That's really cool. Thank you for speaking to that. It's been great hearing about your background and how that informs your practice. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about your artistic practice? Uh, We've heard a little bit about your process, but like anything else that you'd like to share would be cool. I think for me right now, I'm trying to think of paper cut as a technique rather than a medium. And then this technique can be applied to a lot of other like different materials. And that that's something that I've been experimenting with and I've had a lot of fun with it. And I wish to carry it further. In the children's book class, I tried paper cut, but on felt. And I think that's another really cool effect, especially for like a children's oriented art. Yeah, so I'm just excited to make more paper cut work, but then with, you know, all the other possibilities. That's really cool. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. This has been really illuminating. Thank you so much. When I was shopping for presents for my little cousins, the bookstore I went to surprised me. On offer, besides books, was a variety of crafts. What struck me was how many of them were paper-based. There was everything from paper dolls to intricate 3D flower construction kits to a make-your-own papier-mâché guide. As I was checking out, I wondered what it was exactly that made paper so appealing for children's crafts. The word ephemera is often used to describe cutouts from old magazines or vintage photographs. These are small, fragile things that will not outlive our presence on the planet. It is a little sad to think that so much of what we use to furnish our children's lives is inherently ephemeral. And ephemeral it must be. Every child knows the heartbreak of realizing their parents had thrown out their artwork. Every parent knows the heartbreak of receiving endless piles of artwork from their children but simply having nowhere to store it. Besides, children rarely care about using archival materials. Their precious masterpieces just won't last. A particularly upscale school might have a ceramics or a weaving unit, something with a bit more longevity, but these are rare. We give children paper toys to play with because paper is cheap. We give them plastic paints and markers to use on the paper because plastic is cheap. But we as adults know that paper and plastic are two of our most commonly used weapons in our battle against the Earth's survival. At the same time as we teach our children that the environment is to be valued, we continue to fall back on the easiest, cheapest way to provide our children with a creative outlet. Give them paper, and lots of it. But why? 
I believe the answer is the same as the answer to why so many RISD students eschew digital art-making tools in favor of traditional ones. Why even those who prefer to draw on Procreate come so readily to the Risograph printer during final season. Why people go to great expense to have their dissertations hand-bound. It is difficult to be proud of something with no tangible form, particularly when someone has just begun learning how to deliberately create. And the human urge to create, to leave a mark on the world, can often outweigh our self-preservation instinct. We will never let go of paper. If we ever did, it will represent a massive shift in our values and the way that we think about the world around us. Tangibility makes us value an object or a piece of art. Why, instead of switching on an audiobook and showing a child a slideshow of pretty pictures, do parents sit down and read paper books with their children? Why, instead of teaching them to draw on an iPad, do parents lovingly organize little crafts for children to do, like cutting paper snowflakes? By giving children ample opportunity to interact with and create objects out of cheap materials because, after all, they are still learning, not of something that will not seriously injure them, we foster their interest in the world around them. Thank you.